So we're going to continue today. We're uh, going through a series right now that's based on our values as City Church. The reason we go through these values is because these values are the things, are the, sort of the filter, the lens through which we do everything. The, why we do what we do or, or how we do everything that we do, do. All right? So the first week we talked about authenticity and vulnerability. The fact that you need to be the real you. Let go of the person you're not and become the person that God created you to be. The second week we talked about community. That only in community can you truly affect change. Can you truly grow spiritually. It's only in those things, and there's a special thing that happens in community. You need to be in community. You can't do it by yourself. Last week, we talked about mission, missional living. We talked about incarnational missional, incarnational missional living, but the missional part was basically that we are on mission. God invites us into his story where his mission becomes our mission. We don't get to just sort of sit around and just sort of wait for God to do everything else. We'll talk a bit about that today, too. We are on mission. If we are a Christian, we are on mission. The mission, is, the mission is yours should you choose to accept it. Just like Mission Impossible, right? Should you choose to accept it, the mission is yours. Even if you're not a Christian, if you want to be on that mission, you're welcome to join that mission. So that's what we talked about last week. And this week, we're going to talk about excellence. Have you ever been, uh, how many of you have ever, ever been to a restaurant that you, it was really, really good? Uh-oh. No. Um, that's fine. Uh, okay, so you go to this restaurant, and it, or may, maybe a, an amazing event. Okay, forget the restaurant. How many of you have been to something like an event, a cafe, something where you walked in and the experience that you left was, wow. Okay, all right, there's more of you. Good. The rest of you have very sad lives. Um, <laughs> I'm just teasing. Um, okay, but you go into that place, whether it's a restaurant, whatever, you know, everything's, you know, the, the cutlery, the glasses, they're all spotless, right? There's no fingerprints on them. There's no smudges on the window. Uh, you know, you, you don't have to rewash re the forks because they didn't look like they made it through all the way last time. You know, everything is spotless. The food comes beautifully. It's immaculate. Even if it's just simply something as simple as a burger or whether it's a filet mignon, whether you go to the wonderful Bristol Hotel for brunch, um, whatever it is, you know, it's amazingly prepared and it tastes delicious. The whole experience is wonderful. Now, imagine if you'd gone into a place where there were smudges on the window, the forks looked like they needed another wash, uh, the napkins looked like they maybe, maybe should use new napkins, um, or maybe you should at least wash them, maybe a little bit more bleach or something like that. Whatever it is, you, 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 chances are you're probably not going to be too inspired to go back to this place. So you have the difference between sort of a, an excellent place and a mediocre. Most of us really aren't inspired by mediocrity. Now, excellence. The first time I ever heard this word excellence really used a lot was when I was working at a church in, uh, in, uh, near Detroit called Kensington Community Church. Actually, hang on. No, that's not true. The first time I heard the word excellent was actually in a movie in the mid-80s called Bill and Ted's uh, Excellent Adventure. Um, but they don't really use the, same, they use the word quite the same way. Uh, it's all well and good. You, know, you, sh you should be excellent to, to each other. Um, you, you go with that. Go home, watch the movie. Uh, part three is actually coming out fairly soon, I think. I, think that, I, I don't know when, but uh, you know, keep an eye on your, on your, the, your local theater and see when it's going to come out. I'll, I'll be first in line. Um, but the way they use it is a little bit different. At Kensington, we talked about it a lot. It was a part of who we are. Everything that we did, we are striving for excellence. Um, now, excellence, the definition that we were sort of running with, 
And it wasn't ours. It came from Bill Hybels, who's the pastor of Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago. But I don't know that anybody has broken it down sufficiently to the point that he has, I think, in his simplicity and his honesty. And frankly, it's accuracy, which is basically excellence is doing the best you can with what you have. Okay? So that's the first part. The second part really is it honors God and inspires others. Doing the best you can with what you have, it inspires God and honors others. Back in 1979, um, the U.S. Olympic hockey team uh, was getting ready for uh, another debut uh, in the Olympics. Now, understand for about 20 years, I guess about 15 years at that point, from 1964 to 1984, the Canadians had actually boycotted hockey in the Olympics because they viewed the Soviets as teams as professional teams. And of course, until 1998, professionals were banned from the Olympics. They just kept sending these guys, yeah, they're amateurs, but they were professionals. The American team, well, they, just, they wanted to get ready to go again. Uh, the previous Olympics, I believe they came sixth, and they wanted to improve on that. The problem is, you're competing against professionals. All the US team had were basically amateurs and collegiate players. They went in, they went undefeated, all the way through. They challenged the system, they played a different system because they knew that they had to play differently to compete against somebody that they ordinarily shouldn't be able to compete against. They did the best with what they have. That's all they had to do and they still came out on top. The movie was made about it, Miracle on Ice, Sports Illustrated. Many of the players actually went on to join, to, uh, join the NHL. I thought that almost none of them did, but I looked that up, and like nearly all of them have, and some, several of them, I guess including this guy, Neil Broughton. Uh, he played about 1,000 games in the NHL, uh, NHL um, uh, Minnesota All-Stars. They were a little happy there. Um, they, they beat the Soviets, um, and they actually went on to win the gold medal. I think it was against, uh, against the Finns. Very, very strange system that they had back then. Um, but that was back in 1980, and they won. They did the best that they could with what they had. Now. Excellence. There's two extremes to excellence here. On one hand, you have mediocrity, and on the other hand, you have perfection. Now, mediocrity, and we've already talked about that a little bit, it's not something that really inspires us. Most people are like, I just can't wait to be mediocre. I really strive to be mediocre. I hope that I can be mediocre one day. Why are things mediocre? Well, sometimes mediocre, we're, we're mediocre because we're, we, have, we're, we have fear of failure. We're afraid by stepping out, starting something new, trying something out, it's going to fail. It's safer to stay where you are than step out and do something else. Fear. The second thing might be our laziness. That's probably more, more, more often than not. We're too lazy. We don't really want to make that extra effort. I'm too tired. I got so many other things to do. Uh, you know, I think of my, my uh, you know, childhood. Um, hockey was more interesting. I'm Canadian, you know, so hockey. Hockey was much more interesting than schoolwork. So I put more attention into hockey and let my schoolwork suffer. I was too lazy to put the work in. Now, now I look back, I'm like, oh, you know, I wish that I sort of could go back and do it over again and just and do really well in school. But I was, uh, I was lazy. I didn't want to put in the extra effort. I think we still do that, a lot of us. We're, we're too lazy to put in, put in that extra effort. And one other thing, and this one might sound a little funny to you, is self-esteem boosting. You're like, what? How does, what does mediocrity have to do with self-esteem boosting? Now, one of the things that we've seen, and many of you are probably aware of this, 
Um, and there's a lot of discussion about this, uh, particularly when it comes to, um, to children's uh, leagues, competitions, where everybody gets a trophy. Um, you know, whether it's Little League Baseball or football or whether it's band competitions. Uh, and you're going to get a variety of these things, but particularly in, particularly in North America, there seems to be this aversion towards the competition. We're not talking about competition, but it's the same effect. Uh, and we're just going to make everybody the same. It's a, a sort of egalitarianism. Now, we're, it, it can be any of those. I'll, I'll give you a little church uh, explanation here. Um, but it can apply to almost any of these things or any area of our lives. Specifically talking about church, we've wrecked art by making it a tool of a sort of egalitarianism, where we're all equal, in which we now consider the arts as something that is about making people have better self-esteem. There's an interesting ratio that goes with this egalitarianism, the increase of self-esteem in the untalented people who get to perform, stand, who get to perform stands in direct proportion to the flaying of the aesthetic sensibilities of thousands of others who should have to listen to them. What we've done here is to say, you know what? Doris and Stan have good hearts. They love the Lord. They wrote a song. So we let Doris and Stan sing, despite the fact that they have, make, make, uh, that they have terrible voices. We're not doing it to raise a beautiful song to the heavens. We're doing it to make Doris and Stan feel good. Somebody needs to say to the pastors who are making the rest of us suffer, there are other ways to make Doris and Stan feel good. Perfection. Perfection is just totally the opposite. This becomes an obsession an obsession with zero mistakes. It's an all or nothing affair. Everything you do, it must be 100% perfect. But excellence is neither of these things. Uh, verse I want to show you is 1 Corinthians 10.31. And it says this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. God calls us to excellence. God is excellent. Everything he does is done with excellence. It is done perfectly. If it wasn't done with excellence, he wouldn't be God. Now, we as Christians, we talked about in the beginning, it always goes back to the beginning. And one of the things we have in the beginning, God said, let us make man in our own image. We are therefore, we believe, the in the image of God. We're not God, we're the image in the image of God. And therefore must be a reflection of these values. This is just one value in which we reflect. When God had the tabernacle, when he gave Moses the instructions for the tabernacle being built in the Old Testament, if you look, read through Exodus, there's about six chapters that he goes through giving specific descriptions of exactly how it should be made, exactly who should be making these things, and that it's not some granny who can crochet who's going to be making the curtains and making the acacia doors and all these things. All the things that go into this is such, per, uh, such detail. Such excellence. The tabernacle was a reflection of God's excellence and for his glory. You follow that by the, as they, because they take that around, you know, for when they're wandering the wilderness. And then once they moved into the, in the nation of Israel, they kept that going with them for a while. And then when Solomon built the temple, it was the same sort of thing over again. It was all very specific, very well done. It was done with excellence and a reflection of the glory of God. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, years ago, there was an admiral 
uh, Admiral Hyman Rickover. He was the head of the, uh, the U.S. Navy, and uh, he had his, his, his critics and detractors. He had his admirers, um, and he would interview everybody that was going to become a naval officer for submarines. So he would interview them all. And there was a former president, uh, Jimmy Carter, who actually joined the Navy and, and joined one of the submarines. Well, he gives the account that he went for his interview, and most people that come out of the interviews were either uh, angry, terrified, completely intimidated, uh, or, or something to that effect. They were, they were just frequently devastated by coming out of these interviews. So he went in for his interview, and he got to sit with him for about two hours, and he could choose whatever he'd want to talk about. So he figured he'd set himself up you know, with some good stuff. We'll talk about current affairs, um, you know, a whole bunch of different things that he's, that he's really good at, you know, battle, you know, war tactics, and all these sort of things that would set him up to succeed in this meeting, because he wasn't going to come out of this um, uh, you know, intimidated or anything like that. He says, as he kept going through these sort of things, every time he'd bring up a new topic, the admiral would start turning turn back around on him, and he'd sort of start feeling as though he wasn't as smart as he was. So finally, he asked him, yeah, how did you do in your class? And, he, and Jimmy, uh, young Jimmy Carter thought, here's my chance to redeem myself. I did pretty well because I came out of, out of university in, so I was a little bit ahead. He said, I, I was 59th out of 820, sir. And he was waiting for the praise. And, wow, amazing, great, great job. He said there was none coming. He said he sat, sat there, no smile, just looked at him, said, did you do your best? And he was like, well, you know, he started, you know, of course I'm, you know, I did my best. That was his first response. And then he remembered who he was talking to. And he stopped and thought about the number of things, though. He could have done this more. He could have done this a little bit more. He could have done this a little bit better. And he says, you know what? I didn't do my best. Admiral turns his chair to end the interview. And Jimmy Carter is left intimidated, dismayed, possibly a little bit angry. He gets ready to leave the office. Admiral asks one more question. He says, why not? He said, Jimmy Carter, he, he, he still can't answer that question. He doesn't know why. Always do your best. This is the thing that many of us have grown up hearing. Always do your best. Why do we, first of all, always have to do our best? Why do we have to say, always do your best? Do your best. It sounds like a good thing. Now, it seems to me that nearly every good value is in some way a reflection of God himself. Do our best. Well, in most cases, we're doing our best for ourselves. If you, look at, if you look at, again, back at the beginning with Adam and Eve, what was the sin? They put their trust in themselves rather than God. They began worshiping themselves instead of God. We do our best for ourselves instead of God. We talk about you know, being a broken reflection. If you ever take a, like a sort of a smashed up mirror, you probably have to smash it a bit because some of the mirrors are pretty good nowadays. Um, but if you shone light into it, it's, it's going to start sending it in different directions in many cases. It's, it's like, it's, like it's, it's ricocheting the light in the wrong way. Always do your best. Now, probably more, more of us uh, tend more towards the mediocrity side rather than the perfection. Most of us probably aren't obsessed uh, with you know, zero mistakes, all or nothing. Uh, most of the time, I think there's maybe, you know, I, I think I can, I can be that in some cases, just not as a, not as a general thing. And I've already listed a few number of reasons there. You know, there's, there's fear, uh, laziness, you know, boosting self-esteem. <clears throat> but there's one other, I think, one other one. 
I think that sometimes we can't live in the tension between our own actions and the actions of God, the actions of the Holy Spirit. We can't live in that tension. We want it to be resolved. We always want resolution, I think. We we like simple answers. We like things black and white. So it's sort of, okay, if you're going to do it, I'm not going to do it. If we're not the ones closing the deal, if we're not the ones ultimately making something happen, we choose to sit back and sort of let, okay, you know, let go and let God in every circumstance. You know, we choose to sit back. But if, as Paul continually says throughout the New Testament, basically everything you do should be for the glory of God, then we have no excuse to sort of sit back and just let him do his thing while we do nothing. He's given us abilities. He's given us talents. He's given us personalities. We need to use these things for his glory. Everyone pulls their weight, no matter, no matter, what your, no matter how much talent you have or no matter, how little, no matter how little talent you have. No matter what talent you have or what, no matter what talent you don't have. Everyone pulls their weight. Everyone does what God wants us to do. Colossians 3, 23 to 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Jesus you are serving. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you may excel still more. There's the word. I love the way that Brian Harbour uh, puts it in his, in his book, Rising Above the Crowd. Success means being the best. Excellence means being your best. Success to many means being better than everyone else. Excellence means being better tomorrow than you were yesterday. Success means exceeding the achievements of other people. Excellence means matching your practice with your potential. Doing the best you have with what you have. The best you can with what you have. I believe that success for me is based on what God wants for me in my life. But... I often don't feel that that's how success is defined for me. I look around and I see the jobs that people, people that I know, friends that I've had growing up. I look at the cars that they're driving. I look at the, the promotions that they're getting, uh, the money that they have. I want those things. Why? Not because of those things, but because I want what those things represent. I want, what the, I want the success, the prestige that those things represent. It's too easy to get caught up into success, perfection. The pursuit of excellence is gratifying and healthy, but the pursuit of perfection is frustrating, neurotic, and a terrible waste of time. On the other hand, the society which scorns excellence in plumbing because plumbing is a humble activity and tolerates shoddiness in philosophy because it is is an exalted activity will have neither good plumbing nor good philosophy. Neither its pipes nor its theories will hold water. Paul continues talking about this sort of thing. He uses another, sort of another metaphor in 1 Corinthians 9.24. You've probably heard this. Do, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Let me read that again. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? All the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. 
I think the two important parts there are all the runners run and run in such a way as to get the prize. If you were to run, if you wanted to uh, run a marathon and you don't run already, chances are you're not going to go tomorrow and run 40 whatever kilometers it is, you know, 26.2 miles. <clears throat> chances are you're not going to go do that. You'd kill yourself. You would die because you can't do that. Chances are, if, you're one, if you just joined the military and you want to join the special forces, you're not going to go tomorrow and hand in your application being ready to apply a week from now. There's a lot of work that needs to go into these things. You simply can't make that jump. It's step by step. Uh, run in such a way as to get the prize. Continuing with, with that idea. The SAS. One, uh, I, I love watching things on the SAS and uh, the Special Air Service, you know, Brit, Brit, Britain's most famous uh, special forces. And, you know, I've read books about them. I told you last week, I love, I love spy stuff, but I love special forces stuff, too. Uh, I'm just waiting for Chris to put out a book. Um, you know, I, w whether you read it, whether you watch it, a documentary on, on the SAS, and you watch the kind of things that they're doing, everybody will describe it the same sort of, the same sort of way. Day after day, for, for tens of hours at a time, uh, they are carrying like a 100-pound pack of rocks, practically, um, across incredibly rough terrain. I think it's in Wales. Uh, they, do, they do some of this stuff. Maybe they do some of it in Scotland. Rather harsh weather. They're doing this at hour after hour, day after day. And by the end, all it is is simply put one foot in front of the other. Just another step. Just another step. Just another step. Or to make it a little bit more pop. Um, there's a really popular show in the U.S. right now. Uh, I really enjoyed it when I was able to watch it this summer. Uh, they're called American Ninja Warrior. Um, yeah, I can tell some of you watched it. Um, American Ninja Warrior is a reboot of a show that was on in the 80s, I, I, I believe, uh, American Gladiators. And there's all these kind of bizarre things that they have that they, that they go through. And, you know, towards the end, I mean, they're getting really fatigued. Uh, men and women can compete in this thing. It's an equal opportunity thing. And uh, some of the women are actually some of the best ones. It's the same course. Um, and the, you know, they'll get towards the end, and there'll be a thing where you know, they're, they're, they've got the hand, they get the bar, and they've got to, like, their feet aren't, they're, they're in the air, and all of a sudden they've got to jump to the next one. You know, jump, jump, whatever it is. You know, not hit, not crisscross. But they're going to go you know, from one to the next. And it's like you just see them there. You could tell that they're so tired, but it's just like, okay, you, they're not going to be thinking about, okay, I have five more to do. They're going to think about, I got one more, one more, one more. It's like you know, you're doing one more rep. You know, see how much weight you can get going. You know, one more rep. I've heard people CrossFit competitions where they're you know, seeing how much, uh, how much they can raise with the kettle, the kettle weights. You know, all they're doing is one more rep, one more rep. You could do 40 reps, but it, it's just one rep at a time. Reminds me of uh, you know, how, do you eat, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. You know, <laughs> just one more rep, one more rep. I wonder how many things there are in our lives where you are right now, the schedule you have, and stuff, stuff happens, stuff gets in our lives that prevents us from maybe doing all that we need to. Um, sometimes it's ourselves getting in our own way of doing the things that we need to. But I wonder how many things in our lives or how many areas in our lives right now where we need to be doing one more rep, one more step. Whether it's in our job, our ministry, uh, our families, our marriages, uh, our schoolwork. 
what areas in our lives do we have right now? What areas do you have right now? And I'm asking myself that, that same question. Uh, it's getting to be a long list. Um, what areas do we have that we need to be doing that one step? You may need to do more steps, but what areas in our lives can we take at least one step right now? I, I love the way that Paul puts this first verse that I, that I showed you, you know, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. I love it and I hate it, and I'll tell you why. Uh, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I was going you know, to say, well, I love because he's talking about eating, but no, that wasn't really it. I love that he's talking about something so simple, something that most of us do several times a day. Whether you eat or drink, you're going to do that for the glory of God. Even the little things matter to God. Whether you eat or drink, and this is why I hate it, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. There's not a whole lot of wiggle room here. You know, there's not a whole lot of areas like, I was like, well, it doesn't really say this. It's, it's sort of an all-encompassing blanket statement here. Whatever you do, everything you do, do it all for the glory of God. It doesn't say whether you work hard or play hard or clean hard or some things you do, do it for your glory. Do it for your praise. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Let us be intentional about being excellent in our whole lives. Our whole lives, we don't get to, we, there is no such thing as this part of your life and this part of your life when it really comes down to it. We may function that way from a schedule point of view, but you can't separate the two things. You know where that comes from? That actually comes from a Greco-Roman idea, Plato and those guys back then, trying to divide the sacred and the secular. The, the sacred and the secular. It was revived again with a French philosopher in the late 1800s, the father of sociology, who tried to break these things in again because he assumed that this did this and this did this. We can't, we can't separate them. If all the things that we've been talking about the last number of weeks, if we are on mission with God, if we need to live in community with other believers and building strong relationships with those outside the church, if all these things are true, you can't separate these things. It's a minute-by-minute, hour-by-hour, day-by-day, week-by-week adventure. Let us be intentional about being excellent in our whole lives, not just our work or in one single area of our lives. Let us live whole lives, not compartmentalized, sectioned lives. Let's pursue excellence above all so that others might know God and honor Him the way that we already do. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you again for the amazing talents and abilities that you've given to us. <clears throat> Just the fact that we have them is a blessing. Just the fact that we have them is amazing. But God, may you do a work in our lives that we get to recalibrate, or that we must recalibrate how we are expending our energies. May we be more efficient with what we do have, with the time that we have, with the talents that we have. And every hour, every minute of every hour, 
may we be conscious that what we're doing is for your glory, not for our own. Whether we eat or we drink or whatever we do, God, may it be for your glory. And may you do a great work in our lives and show people your glory by working in us. In your name we pray. Amen.